The sermon text for this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. As this morning we complete our series through Philippians. Uh, Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And so we will focus on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then the following Sunday, April 21st, is Resurrection Sunday. And so we will focus on Jesus' resurrection. And then our next sermon series through Joshua will begin um, in May. And I'm looking forward to that series because we will learn about how Joshua uh, led Israel to inherit the earthly kingdom of Canaan and how all that pointed forward to Jesus, who leads us into the new heavens and the new earth. But this morning, we are in Philippians chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. And there we read, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, we see in these verses, loved ones, that the Apostle Paul concludes this letter to the Philippians speaking about God's glory. And actually, this is not unique among the letters in the New Testament. Here are just some examples of other letters in the New Testament that conclude with an emphasis on God's glory. Paul, for example, concludes his letter to the Romans this way. Romans 16, verse 27 To the only wise God be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ, amen. Paul also concludes his second letter to Timothy, uh, speaking about God's glory. 2 Timothy 4, verse 18, we read, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. And Paul, Paul is not the only author in the New Testament who concludes his, letter, his letters this way. The writer of Hebrews, if you recall, we're not sure of his identity, but the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. And here it is, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Even the Apostle Peter concludes his first letter with these words. He writes, After you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And lastly, the example from Jude's short letter. Jude was Jesus' own brother. And he concludes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory, with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. 
having noted all of these examples, we see that it's obvious, and there are so many others that we could look at in the Bible, it's obvious that God's glory is an important doctrine in the Bible. And so when Paul concludes Philippians uh, speaking about God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus, and then saying to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, we need to understand, loved ones, that he's not just ending in a poetic way, you know, as we might end our letters with sincerely, without really giving it a second thought and then signing our names. This isn't just a poetic way of, of closing a letter. There's much more going on here. And this is what we will consider this morning as we uh, look at this text. Uh, what is God's glory all about? And why is it such an important doctrine? And what does all of this mean for you and me? And so let's begin this morning with God himself. Because we learn in the Bible that God is glorious. God is glorious. You know, when the Bible speaks of God's glory, it's referring to what is in his essential being or nature. We need to understand, loved ones, that uh, God's glory is not just one of his attributes, but it's God himself. God's glory is the weight of his very being. The glory of God, we might say, is, uh, is the godness of God. It's what sets him apart from all of his creation. He alone is God, we read in the Bible, and there is no other. You know, we, we usually talk about us giving glory to God, but, you know, before we do that, loved ones, we need to understand that God is glorious, that he is God and there is no other. And so if he had never created us, never created you and me to glorify him, he would still be perfectly glorious because he is God. See, we don't, we don't add to his godness when we give him glory because our triune God is infinitely worthy in and of himself. And this is why in, in John chapter 17, verse 5, when the Lord Jesus was praying to the Father, uh, Jesus said, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, loved ones, Jesus says that before God brought our universe into existence, there was a sharing of glory eternally between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the infinite worth of his divinity, of his godness. And this is why God, we read in the Bible, will not share his glory with another. He will not share his glory with false idols, with false gods, or even with creatures, because he alone is God. And like him, there is no other. God says this very clearly in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11. My glory I will not give to another. Jonathan Edwards, he described God in speaking about God's glory. He described God as 
the being of beings, infinitely the greatest and best of all beings. That God is, is glorious, and therefore, he is infinitely worthy to be praised, admired, and, and loved by all. He alone is God, and there is no other. So as we continue uh, consider the fact that God is glorious, it's a marvelous thing for then us to consider the fact that God reveals his glory. That God reveals his glory. This is the second point in the sermon outline. How then does God reveal his glory? Remember, loved ones, remember that God is a spirit. That's what we learn from the Bible. And as the children's catechism explains, um, God is a spirit and and he does not have a body like men. Children, you know that answer very well, I'm sure. He does not have a body like you and me. God is not made of matter. He's not made of of energy or, or anything that is created. Again, he is God. He is an uncreated spiritual being. And because God is a spirit and he doesn't have a body like you and me, unless God reveals himself, you know, you and I can never see him or, or understand any aspects of his being. And yet, the Bible says that our God has chosen to reveal himself. Our God has, has chosen to make himself known to you and to me. And he does this one way, he makes himself known to us in creation, in all that exists, in everything seen and unseen. Remember that God is God. There's no deficiency in him. He doesn't lack anything. And so consider the fact that the very reason that God created the world and that all that exists, he created it all for a purpose, loved ones. He created it to reveal himself and to delight in that revelation of himself. Now, we might say that uh, creation is the stage on which God reveals his glory. It's the stage on which God reveals his glory. Think Think about this, that in creation, on this stage, Uh, we see God's wisdom, for example. We see God's wisdom in how he established the laws that govern our universe. We see his creation and we can see orderliness, and and that reveals God's infinite wisdom. Uh, As we consider this stage of creation, we also see God's power. God's power in how he spoke matter and, and energy into existence out of nothing, ex nihilo, and, you know, as we think about his power to create out of nothing, uh, it was only in the last century that scientists were able to calculate and to exploit the power of, of atoms to show how just a small amount of radioactive material could hold so much power and energy and create such huge explosions. And yet, loved ones, we learn from the Bible that God brought this stuff into existence and that that he sustains it by the word of his power. In creation, we see his wisdom. We see his power. In creation, on this stage, we also see his providence. His providence as he uh, governs all things moment 
by moment. See, there is no other purpose, loved ones, for the existence of our universe. Everything in existence serves to reveal God's glory, to reveal his invisible godness, we might say. Creation is the stage on which he reveals his glory. And this is what the Apostle Paul so clearly explains in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. In Romans chapter 11, verse 36, the Apostle Paul proclaims in his doxology, this song of praise, a song of glory. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So we look at this verse, we see that Paul affirms the centrality of God in all of his creation. If we look closely at, at Romans 11, verse 36, we see that Paul says that God is the source of all things. Notice he says, for from him. And not only is God the source of all things, but God is the sustainer of all things. For from him and through him. And then God's glory, we see, is the purpose of all things. And to him are all things. And see, because this is true, because God is the source, and he's the sustainer and the goal of all things, Paul writes, to him be glory forever. Amen. See, loved ones, this is completely different from the secular understanding of of why we're here, of why we exist. Um, you know, for those who do not believe in, in God and who don't confess the name of Jesus, their explanation for the universe is either um, attributed to false gods, to a false religion, or their explanation for the universe is materialistic, right? The universe, they would say, exists by by chance, that we are only uh, molecules in, in motion. There's no meaning to our existence. There's no grand purpose that we are here, they would say, right now at this moment uh, because of a series of events that started 13.8 billion years ago. And, and there's no ultimate purpose behind our existence. But the Bible... The Bible teaches us that creation, there is a purpose. There's a God-ordained purpose behind it. The Bible teaches us that creation is like a book that teaches us about God. You know, like when we read a biography about somebody, you get to know uh, that person as you're reading that book. Uh, in the same way, loved ones, all of creation is like a book. And when we read it, um, when we're studying it, when we're observing God's creation, we learn about God. John Calvin described creation even as, as a classroom in which we learn about uh, God and his being. We read this very thing in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, where Paul describes what we can learn about God from his creation. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, 
because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. As we consider what Paul writes there, one of my uh, favorite hymns in our hymnals uh, explains this. The hymn is, God all nature sings thy glory. We sang it a couple of weeks ago. The first stanza read, reads, God all nature sings thy glory, and thy works proclaim thy might. Ordered vastness in the heavens, ordered course of day and night. Beauty in the changing seasons, beauty in the storming sea, all the changing moods of nature praise the changeless trinity. God reveals his glory in his creation. We learn in the Bible also that God reveals his glory when he reveals himself, when he reveals his presence. And in the Bible, this usually takes the form of light, of bright, glorious, majestic light. In these revelations that we read about in the Bible, uh, we have to understand, loved ones, that God, again, used a created substance. He used light in order to reveal himself. We read about these instances, these revelations throughout the Bible. We read, for example, about uh, the bright glory cloud that led Israel through the wilderness and how that cloud descended uh, and filled the tabernacle. The tabernacle was God's dwelling place on earth in the midst of his people. We read about this filling of the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 35. Listen to how God's glory, his display of his glory is, is uh, described. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then later in the Old Testament, after Solomon uh, dedicated the temple, uh, we read about the same thing happening. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. We read, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all of the people of Israel saw the fire come down, and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And loved ones, what, what did the shepherds see in the fields on the night of Jesus' birth? What they saw was the same bright manifestation of God's glory. Glory that we read lit up the night. Luke chapter 2 verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. See God's revelation of himself in his creation. 
revelation of himself in his very presence among his people and divine life and power and majesty. Beloved ones, the, the supreme revelation of, of God's glory is not in creation, in the sun, the moon, the stars, in what we see. And it's not in, in the blinding light, the manifestations that Israel saw and the shepherds saw that night, but it was in the incarnate Christ. Why is that? Because Jesus was God. This is why the Apostle Paul says in our sermon text from Philippians chapter 4, as he brings the conclusion of his epistle, uh, as he writes it, and he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, loved ones, the Apostle Paul is showing us that in the same way that God's glory descended upon the tabernacle and filled the temple, as we read in, from Exodus and Second Chronicles, well, God's glory was now in full display in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, who was the true tabernacle, the true temple. In Jesus, God tabernacled among us. In Jesus, our true temple, God atoned for our sins. And so the Apostle Paul asserts in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the glory of God manifested on earth. And that glory was veiled. It was veiled as Jesus walked with his disciples. It was veiled in flesh. It was veiled in humanity. He didn't lay aside his glory in the incarnation. In fact, the disciples in a sense, we might say got a peek of what it looked like when that veil was removed at Jesus' transfiguration as that blinding light again lit up the night. The Apostle John writes as he's trying to explain how God's glory was revealed in Jesus Christ. He explains at the beginning of his gospel in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Beloved, this is why uh, Jesus said during his earthly ministry, said to his disciples, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, he was God. And this was all to show us, loved ones, that, that God's glory is most clearly revealed in Jesus, in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And so if we think about the idea again that all of creation is a stage on which God reveals his glory, you know, what we can think about is we can think about the Lord Jesus as the central character on that stage. And all of the lights on that stage are focused upon him, upon his incarnation and his obedient life, his atoning death and his resurrection and his ascension as he came to redeem his people from slavery to sin and to bring us into his kingdom. 
because all of history, loved ones, all of history was directed toward that moment when we read in the Bible, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem his people from the curse of sin. You may recall that the Apostle Paul described this in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. The focus on Jesus Christ and his accomplished work as that point in history that all of creation was driving toward. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, the Apostle Paul writes about Jesus' humiliation and his subsequent exaltation. He writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul there emphasizing that Jesus was the supreme revelation of God's glory and he will be glorified for eternity. But how, loved ones, how do we glorify a God who is perfectly glorious? How do we as his people glorify him? We ask this question now after we understand the fact that he is perfectly glorious in and of himself. And after we understand how he reveals his glory, you know, we can now talk about how we might glorify him and how we are called to do so. G.I. Williamson, he explains uh, God's glory in this way. God has been glorious from all eternity and nothing created by God can ever make him more glorious than he already is. Williamson explaining there that when we give God glory, we don't add to his glory, we don't make him more glorious. What then, loved ones, does it mean to glorify God? Well, it means to reflect God's glory. It means to reflect God's glory. Now, you and I, we are like mirrors. You know, uh, we rarely look into a mirror and comment on the mirror. Uh, we often forget that the mirror is even there because we're so focused on what's being reflected in that mirror. We're focused upon ourselves. And that's where our attention is when we are looking into that mirror. This is, uh, and this applies to how we glorify God, loved ones. We reflect him and his glory. Now, focusing on him and not ourselves. This ultimately involves uh, keeping God at the center and especially what he has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer one, asks that very well-known question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him 
forever. Beloved ones, this is the chief end. This is the purpose of our existence. As we've noted throughout the scriptures, it's to glorify God by reflecting his glory, by simply being instruments that exalt him, that, that draw attention to him, that show him as the center of our lives and of all things. You know, some, some might say in response to that, that, that kind of sounds boring. Uh, what about me? Uh, why, don't, why don't I get some glory? Why don't I get uh, some attention? Loved ones, that's not the response of true faith. See, true faith is God-centered through and through. True faith acknowledges that God alone is glorious and that he has revealed his glory in Jesus Christ. True faith says, as John did, he must increase, I must decrease. And to learn how to do this, how to glorify God by reflecting his glory, we need to go to the Bible. Because the Bible is the only source that accurately tells us how to glorify God. The Catechism explains this in a question and answer two. What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? And the answer, the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. This is a really important point. We, we cannot glorify God according to our own ideas, uh, according to our own preferences. Uh, we need to learn how he wants to be glorified. And the only place we can learn about how to do that is in the Bible. It is the only rule that infallibly explains who God is and, and how we can please him. See, what we learn in the Bible, loved ones, is how to order our lives in a way that draws attention to him and reflects his glory. There's three areas I want us to note this morning. In the Bible, we learn how to glorify God in our worship. The first area of, of our lives, we learn how to glorify God in our worship. Um, you know, our worship here at Grace is, is structured according to what God teaches us in Scripture. And what do we do here in worship? Uh, we, we read the Bible, we preach the Bible, we sing the Bible, uh, we administer the sacraments according to what God teaches us in the Bible. See, God, we know, has uh, very clearly revealed how he wants us to approach him in worship and how he will receive the greatest glory. And so he does not want to be worshipped according to what we imagine he might like. Very often in church history, um, when the church innovated in worship, the church came up with some new ideas about how God might be uh, glorified in worship, ideas that are not in Scripture. Those innovations led to a more man-centered aspect of, of worship that, rather than a God-centered view. So, In other words, we glorify God in our worship by worshiping him according to how we are instructed in his word. He has laid it out for us in the Bible. In the Bible, we also learn how to glorify God in our obedience, in our obedience to him as his children. We read and uh, the Ten Commandments monthly in our church. We read them this morning. 
We know that the Ten Commandments summarize God's moral law. And uh, God's moral law is, is more than just a list of uh, do's and don'ts. Right? But the moral law reveals God's holiness and, and it reveals God's character. And so when we live in obedience to God's moral law, we are reflecting the Lord. We glorify him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And loved ones, just like worship, the Bible tells us not to innovate or to come up with our own ideas about how to glorify God in our obedience. Um, the Jewish religious leaders, we know, they tried this. They, they came up with thousands of, of additional laws because they believed that God's word wasn't clear enough. But Jesus said that all their additions, all their traditions, all their additional laws, they did not serve to glorify God. Instead, what they did is they drew more attention to the Pharisees. Again, that man-centered tendency rather than draw more glory to God himself. We learn about how to glorify God in our worship, in our obedience, and in the Bible we also learn how to glorify God by delighting in him. The greatest joy, loved ones, the greatest joy in life is to do exactly what God designed us to do. And that is to glorify him by enjoying him, by delighting in him. So that uh, every moment of every day we can live before his face and for his glory. Because this is ultimately what we will be doing for eternity. This is what we were created to do. That's the picture that we see in the book of Revelation, isn't it? That we will all reflect God's glory for an eternity. For eternity. That we were created to glorify God and to enjoy him not just here and now, but forever. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that reveals the glory of your salvation. We see your glory revealed in the book of nature that the heavens declare your glory, the skies proclaim your handiwork, that the complexity of our bodies and the wonders of this world show forth your majesty. Truly, Lord, all are left without excuse. We do thank you for revealing yourself in creation, but especially for revealing yourself in salvation in Scripture and directing us to the only one who can save, to the Lord Jesus. Lord, having been saved by grace, help us, we pray, to do all things, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, for your glory. Bless our work, our attitudes, our thoughts, and our words, and sanctify them for your use and glory in this world. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the, sake of your, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Hear us as we pray to you, for we ask in Jesus' name.
Amen.